This episode is sponsored by SH Building Group. The experienced team of professionals at SH Built consists of client, site, accounting, subcontractor, design, and craft building specialists. They integrate the latest construction management technology and offer home guardianship services and advanced inspections. Tom Sherlock and his team helped remodel my home, and their attention to detail was unsurpassed. Start planning a project today. Visit shbuilt.com or call 970-923-1122 and tell them you heard about them on Selling the Mountains. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Christian Knapp. This is Selling the Mountains, a show about the booming mountain town real estate economy and unique personalities fueling it. Each episode is an insider's perspective on market trends, lifestyle, success stories, and the ups and downs of home ownership in the mountains. Christian Knapp is the former chief marketing officer of Aspen Skiing Company and a lifelong mountain town enthusiast. He is an accomplished marketing and sales leader who has worked for the top resorts in North America including Aspen, Vail, Breckenridge, and Keystone. Currently, Christian is an independent consultant and principal at Moment of Truth, a boutique marketing firm specializing in brand development, strategic planning, and digital execution. All opinions expressed by Christian and podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of the companies or clients they represent. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for real estate investment decisions. My guest today is Jordy Karlinski. Jordy brings the fire of a competitive athlete with the even-keeled energy of a certified mindfulness coach. She was a member of the U.S. snowboard team and narrowly missed competing at the 2014 Olympics. After retiring from professional snowboarding, Jordy focused her attention back to the community she loves as a real estate professional for Compass. She is driven, grounded, committed to her work, and passionate about the long-term success of the Roaring Fork Valley. These characteristics make Jordy a compassionate and thoughtful broker with the energy and drive to get the job done for her clients. In our conversation, we discussed helping people unlock their potential to achieve success, using mindfulness and having a mentor to help you along your journey, whether it be in athletics or business. Lastly, we talked about the challenges of content creation, the latest trends in social media, and the importance of giving back to your community. I hope you enjoy this great conversation with Jordy. This episode is brought to you by Obermeyer Wood Investment Council, an independent investment advisor and financial planning firm based in Aspen and Denver with roots dating back to 1982. Their team of experienced investors, thoughtful financial advisors, and focused problem solvers have helped hundreds of individuals, families, and nonprofits identify and achieve goals using sound advice, careful planning, and clear communication. They are locally based experts, dedicated community members, and proud sponsors of Selling the Mountains. Obermeyer Wood would like to offer all listeners a complimentary, no-pressure investment portfolio review with one of their experienced team members. To schedule a review or to learn more about their services, visit obermeyerwood.com. I started snowboarding when I was seven years old. And locally, we have these uh, weekend competitions, and I was the only female snowboarder at the time, you know, seven, eight years old. I, I started winning those local uh, weekend competitions and because I was competing against myself, so it wasn't really hard. And that, you know, as I got a little bit older, a few years went by, and I eventually got invited to nationals. And as I got better, I won nationals. 
And then I was invited to more regional events and uh, started winning those. And that really was how my career picked up was in that late middle school age into early high school. And when I was in high school, I was a member of the U.S. snowboard team for border cross. And I was invited to be on that team after I had some success in gravity games and X games qualifiers and making it to the X games back in the day when there was an X games qualifier. And so I was on the U S team for a number of years and traveled all over the world, did world cups. And that was an incredible experience. But I realized about when I was 17, that it really wasn't the discipline I wanted to be in. And I, while I was on the U S team for border cross, I was also competing in half pipe and slope style. And so I made the decision again, when I was about 17 years old to focus purely on slope style. And in fast forward to 2011, the, there was a U.S. team that was created and because to the 2014 Olympics were the first year that slopestyle was going to be an Olympic sport. So the U.S. team created a U.S. team for slopestyle and I was nominated to be on that, which was a huge honor. And from 2011 to January 2014, the focus was making it to the 2014 Olympics. And so, again, traveled all over the world. Um, had an awesome time. There were six of us on the team and one coach, and it was such a great group of people to, to travel around with and train with. And the U S Olympic qualifiers are pretty intense. There's actually, um, some going on right now and we locally, and we had to compete in December in the months of December and January to make it to the Olympics in February. So there was a bunch of events back to back between two months and uh, long story short, going into the last event, I was tied for fourth and they only took four spots to the Olympics. So I was tied for fourth and I had to beat whoever I was tied with. And unfortunately I, I, I landed a first run. There was two runs. I landed one run, got a score of an 85 and she had a score of an 87. And so we were a two point difference in our scoring. And so I knew I had to do better my second run and that was the goal. And I unfortunately fell and I was in my head completely and a lot of pressure to, cause it was really, it came down to that one run to make the Olympics. And I fell and I did not make the Olympic team in 2014. And that's when I retired from competitive snowboarding after that. I got to ask, did your opponent there, did she medal? She did not, but she did really well. And I think that's incredible. You know, the, it was a great group of ladies who went and it was, it was really fun to watch. No, that's really cool. And that competitive drive certainly comes into play, I'm sure, in your current career. Yeah, it does. I, you know, I think that's a lot of what made me get into real estate. I know it's a very saturated career path for a lot of people in the Valley and it's a very competitive career. And, you know, there's certain things that I've developed over years and years and years of competing and training that I think have allowed me to 
just get in and and get get going and making sales and getting new clients. And, you know, I, I think when I look back at it, I'm fairly new in the career and I'm pretty proud of what I've accomplished so far in the career. Is it a bit like border cross? <laughs> first one to the bottom? <laughs> I'd say, yeah, plus, plus some. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a pretty, um, you know, it's, it's ruthless and you got to be on your A game. And, you know, for the most part, all the brokers I've dealt with are wonderful people, um, but it's, it's very competitive. So how did you make the transition? Did, was there a point in time where you had this, insp- like, I want to be a broker or was it something, you know, how, how did that happen? So when I retired from competitive snowboarding in 2014, I, um, I worked locally at a retail shop and, actually started my own mindfulness coaching practice. What I had realized when I stopped snowboarding was I was really passionate about mindset and goal setting and mindfulness practices to help deal with stress and to help deal with anxiety and to continue the path forward to reach your goals and using mindfulness as a nice platform for that. So I started a business in doing that. And I also helped athletes develop mindfulness practices to help them perform at their best. And I loved that part of my life. And it, I will say it wasn't a moneymaker, but I learned so much. And I use a lot of those tools that I learned through my certification process today in real estate and their tools I'll take with me for the rest of my life. But when I realized that the coaching wasn't necessarily going to cut it for living a nice life in Aspen, Colorado. I decided, I was like, okay, what else is out there? Like I always knew I wanted to be my own boss, if you will. I didn't want to work under anyone. And one of the things that has, is very apparent in our Valley and it has been since I was a kid is real estate. And I felt, you know what, I, I, there's an entrepreneurial aspect to it. And I love that. And that was really, and you can make good money. And the end goal for me is again, to be able to have a nice lifestyle, um, for years to come where I can raise a family here eventually and support my kids and my family to, um, again, have a nice lifestyle. So it really came down to, what career could do all those things and it's real estate. Makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of people jump to that. I mean, certainly one career trajectory, you do see a fair amount of professional uh, ski and snowboard athletes transition into real estate because I think, you know, they have that competitive drive. They live in and want to be in mountain towns and they like that uh, unstructured uh, at times um, lifestyle of inability to hit the mountain when you when you want or to entertain clients and that social aspect i think all kind of blends together and and of course i think one thing that you do really well is your social media presence and having that brand you, and you understand the power of marketing and branding yourself uh, heading into this business would you would you say that's correct yeah i would and i would say that real estate has made me um, tighten up my brand, if you will. And I've learned a lot just in the past few years of developing my brand further. But yeah, I, I think that's the creative part of real estate that I love so much is the marketing aspect of it. And I think it's a challenge, but um, I really try to be consistent in my brand. 
So flash forward to we're in first quarter of 21. You know, how are things going for you right now? This market is crazy. It's been incredibly hot. It's also there's also a, a glut of inventory right now or, or a lack of inventory, I should say. Um, could be a challenge. But do you do you have a niche in this community? Would you say? You know, a lot of who I work with, um, fortunate from growing up here are a lot of locals and word of mouth that way. And also I, I work with second homeowners, people who are relocating. Um, it's really all across the board to be honest. And, and as far as quarter one is going, I, you know, it's better than I thought. And I've hit personally, I've, I've exceeded my, my goals for Q1 in real estate. And I'm thrilled with that. And, you know, in this very competitive career, it's really important for me to realize those little wins, if you will. And so I don't get down on myself because you can look at someone who's like, Oh, they're selling a $20 million home. Like, why can't that be me? But if I put my energy and focus to someone else, then it's taking away from what I can do. And so I'm really proud of what I've accomplished in Q1. And I just hope it keeps going up from there. That's an interesting. So you work with a lot of people that are relocating here, more locals, you know, that are, would you say, are more in the affordable housing bracket? Yeah, I would say just based on my age group and my sphere of influence, the people I know, we're doing a lot in the Basalt and Carbondale areas. Uh, for the locals. And, you know, it's been challenging for sure, especially in that price point. It's very, very challenging. And as a buyer, a seller also has its challenges. Absolutely. But you have to be really on it if you're a buyer and you have to be very serious and willing to go to move very quickly. It's really important to have an agent that's at that level too, if you're with a if you're a buyer who's willing to work very quickly for you. Let's unpack that a little bit. I mean, of course, uh, affordable housing in mountain communities in a place like Aspen and the Rock Fork Valley is is basically at a crisis level, right? And I don't even know what's affordable anymore. And yeah, I'd be curious to hear from some of your you know your younger clients that are moving or relocating here or trying to buy their first home. What price point does it take, and how hard is it to find? a good place to live here in the Valley right now? You know, it's aside from the actual affordable housing in Aspen and Snowmass, free market affordable housing, it's hard to put a number on it because it, you know, it's different for me than what it is to you. And so I would say right now though, we're not seeing much in the Valley unless you're in Glenwood Springs, lower than $500,000 and you're getting a condo or a townhome. So that's really where the level's at right now. And it's kind of a sticker shock situation for a lot of buyers. So how do you approach that? How do you set expectations with those clients if they're coming in to the Valley or want to be a first time homeowner and they just, they can't muster north of half a million. Well, I, with my clients and if people have reached out to me, um, to work with me, I, I have that conversation up front and I set them up on a compass collection so they can, even if they're three months, six months, a year down the road from buying or a month, 
I set them up on a collection so that they can get to learn our market, how fast things are going under contract, what's coming to market, how fast things are closing. Is it closing in cash or is it closing in a loan? And I also try to educate them, especially if they're a first time home buyer, the importance of getting pre-approved because most people are using a loan and the importance of just the, the process of what it takes to go under contract and then also what the process is to go under contract. So I really try to be educational to my, an educational source to my clients. And I have those conversations up front. And I think most people who live in the Valley understand where the prices are at. We have a lot of savvy buyers and sellers in the Valley, but it is a little bit of a different conversation for people who are relocating or looking for a second home, because that's where I see the sticker shock the most. And it's just educating them on our market. What about the affordable housing program? I guess, mostly in the upper Valley, but um, do you, do you help get uh, buyers into, you know, APTRA units or is that pretty much just a for sale by owner market? Yeah, it's my understanding that APCHA is its own entity, if you will. I've actually worked with a client recently, had a closing, and it was an affordable housing unit through Garfield County. So it was in Carbondale, and you do have to work full-time in the Valley, and you have to live at the property full-time. So there are still some restrictions But what I experienced in Garfield County was a lot different than what the system is up in Aspen. So again, I think Aspen's its own entity. And I believe that most buyers just work through APCHA themselves and not with a broker. But there are other properties that occasionally come to market throughout the Valley where you can use a broker. For somebody that's moving here, relocating here and wants to be in the Valley, what neighborhoods do you particularly like or where do you like to steer them? Well, it depends if they want to, you know, we have quite a few few towns in our Valley. And so it really depends on one, their budget and uh, what they're looking for. And that's what I think is so wonderful about our Valley is that it caters to so many people and there's a lot of different hobbies and recreational types out there. And so I, you know, I think we all live here for the lifestyle and for the mountains and for the river. And one of the conversations I have with my buyers is like, what's important to you? Do you, are you a mountain biker? If so, okay, great. Let's maybe look at some places in Snowmass Village that are near the Rim Trail, or if you want to be more down Valley, maybe by Crown Mountain or Red Hill or whatever it is. Or if you're a fly fisherman, it's like, okay, well, these are the river properties. So it really just depends on one, their budget. And I really like to hone in on what's super important to them. And I direct them from there. I know this is probably budget dependent, but what, what design trends or amenities right now are must-haves for a mountain home buyer? What I've noticed is definitely a a home office. (laughs) I guess it's not really an amenity, but it's, it's coming back. And, um, I think they kind of went out of style for a little bit. And now that most people are working from home, home offices are big or like a extra bedroom have been really big. 
Also really cool outdoor patios. I know a lot of people are getting uh, gas fireplaces and just setting up a really cool atmosphere outside where they can entertain outside and enjoy the fresh air outside. Um, I know that's been a big trend. Yeah, you know, I, I think really just any sort of outdoor space a lot of people have been looking for. No, that's definitely, um, you know, I think that goes for the the top dollar homes down to the more, what we'd say, affordable homes, yeah. right? People want that indoor-outdoor space. We have a beautiful climate in the summer to be outside and, uh, and having that kind of room to spread uh, is always appreciated, right? Got to have, got to throw the garage in there too, or a gear storage, right? Yes. I, you know, a garage is, is huge. And I mean, a garage space is worth its weight in gold in the Valley. So if you can find a place with a garage, you're, you're on the right track. When you were professionally snowboarding and you got to travel all over the world, I'm sure to some amazing mountain towns. Do you have a favorite that you visited along the way? Yeah. Um, if we're talking international, I, oh gosh, Wanaka, New Zealand is right up there. Zermatt, Switzerland, love it there with the Matterhorn in the background. That was a really cool pedestrian style town. And then I'd say on the state side, um, Jackson Hole's always been a favorite. Uh, the mountains there are so cool and, you know, Park City's great as well. What do you think, you know, some of those, those are all amazing places, by the way. I haven't been, I haven't been to Wanaka, but I have been to Queenstown and I've been to some spots in Europe as well. And, you know, I'm curious, you know, obviously we live in a pretty special place and we're very lucky to call Aspen and Snowmass in this area home. But what are, you know, are there any things that you've seen in your travels that you think could be applied here to our valley that could make it better? You know, I don't know, honestly. I think that Aspen does a really good job with providing, with coming up with new things, like such as the downtowner to shuttle people around via an app. I think that that's great. It's really hard to say. I think what we have currently makes our town unique. And um, I don't think I can, I can't think of another mountain town that is superior because of one thing. No, it's a good point. I mean, we we really, when you stack everything up, it's pretty special here. But I agree with you in terms of the downtown, I think was a good addition. For those listening that don't know what that is, it's a free vehicle, sort of like an Uber um, that runs around town and transports people, primarily visitors um, from their condo to uh, do errands or run to the mountain or whatever. And I think more um, transit options, you know, less car traffic and moves in that direction would be a big improvement for our area, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I, I, you know, of course, RAFTA has been instrumental in our valley, and it's a huge part of the local um, lifestyle. And so I think that's wonderful. I, I would say the only, you know, on that note, the traffic in and out of Aspen is definitely a pain point. So that's always difficult to navigate. This episode is brought to you by Land Title Guarantee Company. Land Title Guarantee Company is Colorado's largest locally owned and operated title agency. Since 1967, Land Title customers can rely on thorough record searches and secure handling of money and information, along with accurate and on-time processing of every transaction by the best people in the industry. With more than 50 offices across the state, 
Their team knows Colorado real estate laws, customs, and markets inside and out. They know Colorado like it's their own backyard, because it is. Put your trust in the best. Visit ltgc.com or call 970-925-1678 and say you heard about land title on Selling the Mountains. So it's really cool that you've gotten to work with a lot of locals and, you know, more in that, what we call affordable sector, but have you had any high dollar transactions in the last year you want to share? Yeah. I was fortunate enough to represent the sellers on a home in Snowmass, over 5 million and probably one of the favorite, my most favorite properties I've sold. Hopefully there's more to come, <laughs> but is a nice riverfront property in Carbondale over 3 million. So you know, I'm, I'm getting there and those are the goals is to be up there consistently one day. So when you walked into that $5 million house in Snowmass, what was it that really impressed you? You know, the location, the lot was special. It was a corner lot and the views as well. Uh, just gorgeous views. I mean, see from basically Independence Pass over to the Snowmass Ski Resort. Views are always winner in a mountain home. Uh, you know, I think that, uh, those will transcend the test of time. Yeah. And I think what's, what's really a big factor in, especially since COVID happened and started and what I've realized in the Aspen snowmass market is I know a lot and I don't have kids, but I've heard from a lot of people in town that a lot of People are moving here. We're moving here to put their kids in our school system. And, you know, places like Aspen and Snowmass are in the school district. And so I think that lends to Snowmass being really attractive because it's a little more affordable than Aspen. However, it's still in the Aspen school district. And so I think that's an aspect that makes Snowmass also special. You said you achieved your goals, personal goals for Q1 of 21. Do you have any predictions for the rest of the year? In terms of how the the year will end, like market-wise? Yeah, I think just, you know, getting, you know, as we move into spring here and into summer, you know, is, is there going to be, you know, what's the demand going to be like? Is there going to be enough inventory to go around for all the brokers? And how is it going to play out in terms of COVID um, mitigation coming into the summer and, and the housing market? For the rest of 2021, you know, I think it's still going to be a strong year. I don't know if it's going to be a year like 2020 based on the activity I've personally had and based on the activity I've also seen other brokers have in the MLS data that we are, we're in a fast paced market, if, if I can call it that. And so things really haven't, they've slowed down, but they're still full speed ahead, if that makes sense. And I do think that we're only going to get busier and busier going into the classic selling season, the summer months. And I also think that we'll stay busy through the end of 2021. Um, you know, I, I, inventory is obviously a huge issue right now. And it, again, it makes it very challenging for buyers. And so it's just, it's really hard to predict what's going to happen. But I think if inventory stays 
where it currently is at, that it naturally is not going to be a, as good of a year as 2020. I think your prediction is pretty accurate. Um, you know, obviously we're, we're playing with a crystal ball here, but but I think the one thing I'm hearing as I, as I talk to brokers and different people in the community is that, you know, because there's limited inventory, anyone that is interested in selling their home are going to be asking a lot of money, you know, historic price points per square foot and, uh, you know, and, and trying to take advantage of, of a seller's market, if you will. How does that impact the market with the supply and demand dynamics there? Is it, you know, are people getting too aggressive in their pricing? No matter where the market's at, there's always people that are going to overprice their home. And if your home is selling or sorry, if your home is sitting in today's market for, I don't know, let's just say longer than a month, unless you're at the very, very top end of our price point, you know, maybe plus 12 million and upwards, you're probably pricing it wrong and you're overpricing it. We have a lot of savvy buyers and sellers in our valley and on the buying front, they're educated. They're either looking at the MLS data, they're looking at Zillow, they're seeing what things are trading for. And I think buyers can tell when they're overpaying. And, you know, it really comes down to how much a buyer wants a property and what they're willing to pay. Because at the end of the day, that's that's really what comes down what it comes down to in a real estate transaction is what a buyer's willing to pay and what a seller's willing to sell at. And I I do still think yes, of course there there are greedy sellers out there. I've talked to a lot of sellers who are like, well, we're just going to throw a number out there and see if it sticks and see if we get a bite. And then they're still sitting on the market a month later. So there it's just because you want to sell and you list it at some astronomical price doesn't mean it's going to sell. Fair enough. Shifting gears, let's talk a little bit about how you generate new business. Uh, you're very good uh, on social media, uh, digitally savvy. Uh, where do where does the majority of your leads come from? So as I was fortunate enough to grow up here, a lot of my business to get me going has been my sphere of influence. And from that, I'm starting to see a trickle effect with friends of friends referring me. Um, and, and that's been really cool. And I hope to continue that. And for the most part, other than that, I actually do get some, some good, I've gotten some clients off of social media, off of Instagram. And, you know, that was never the goal. And when I get someone that I can actually have a conversation with and, you know, help them buy or sell, that's, I think that's pretty cool. It's icing on the cake, if you will. So yeah, a lot of it is my sphere of influence and then also some of the additional um, marketing that I'm doing. So if, if getting a new client wasn't the goal of, of your Instagram presence and what you put into that, what, what is the goal of spending all that time on Instagram? I really enjoy it. And I think it's a fun challenge, especially as things are, the algorithms are getting more challenging and it's harder to get engagement these days compared to what it was five, 10 years ago. So for me, Instagram, the goal has always been just have fun and throw out creative content or what I feel is creative. It might not resonate with everyone, but it's really one of the 
the aspects of my life where I can, I have free reign over what I'm doing. And of course, yeah, now that I am in real estate and over the past year, I would say I've, I've tightened up my brand a little bit more and it's really more just for brand awareness and to let people know that I live and breathe the Aspen lifestyle. You also dabbled in podcasting this last year. You know, you're on a podcast right now. Why did you get into podcasting? So podcasting has been, you know, well, I, I'll take one step back. So in regards to social media and marketing and the podcast, it's all related. In my opinion, any content is good content. And the more content I can create the better. And so that was the next step in my content creation, I thought was a podcast. Through COVID and being separated from friends, I really was missing that genuine connection aspect of being a human. So I I wanted to sit down with people for an hour at a time and have deeper conversations. And a lot of my podcast is it's not super real estate specific. It's more about performance and the mindset and goal setting and how business executives get to where they are, how coaches coach their athletes and what tips and tools they have and how athletes get to the top level, how they get to be a top performer. And so that really was, that's such a passion of mine. And that all stemmed from my professional snowboarding career and my mindfulness coaching and my, I was missing that part of my life and I wanted to keep that conversation going. No, it's really cool. I had a chance to check out some of the episodes. It's called Unlocked for the listeners if they want to check it out. And I know you did 10 episodes and we talked about it before we got on here. It's a lot of work to do these things and uh, to be prepared and and do it right. And uh, you you did a great job. And like you said, it's, it's all content's good content, you know, as long as it's on brand and you know, I think just sharing who you are and what you're about with your audience is is critical. And I really applaud you for that. Along those lines, is there other channels or, that you're dabbling in? Are you, you know, are you on Clubhouse? Are you doing TikTok, Snapchat, any of these other emerging channels for real estate? Well, I got an invite to Clubhouse and it overwhelmed me <laughs> the moment I signed up. So truthfully, I have not been back on Clubhouse. I've I've done TikTok and that's what I put out some of my reels on on Instagram is through TikTok cuz I mean, hey, if I'm going to be doing a video, you may as well get more exposure by separating it onto two channels and I create on TikTok and then we'll upload it to Instagram. You know, I think eventually I've dabbled in YouTube. I'm by no means a professional videographer or editor, but that's a goal of mine is to get that up and running and bring on someone that can help me with that. How do you how do you translate a TikTok video into a real estate uh, marketing tactic? I think with video in general, there's so much content to be shared. I mean, you can do for real estate specific stuff, you could do a neighborhood tour, you could do a home tour if it's your listing and you have permission to do the home tour, you could do a quick market update and TikTok allows you to edit 
a lot and to add um, text to your videos and to put on music. And so I really like the editing features of TikTok and you they're short, they're sweet. You don't have to put a whole lot of energy into it. And there's just a lot of creative content that can be done by real estate brokers. And TikTok for me is just a platform that that I like to edit everything on and push it out on. Do you do all of these this effort, this video production, editing, all by yourself? Or do you have resources here in the Valley you tap into if you have a listing for a property and you need to produce some great video? For my social media, if it doesn't look professional, then I'm doing it all myself. And I'm not too hung up on everything being very professional looking because, hey, if that were... If that was my goal, I would never get content out. I think taking a step back a little bit, if if I wanted everything to be perfect, it just wouldn't happen. <laughs> and I think that's what I had to get over that fear to start doing a lot of videos and to start, you know, talking in front of the camera and pushing it out to thousands of followers. At the end of the day, I can't get too hung up on what other people, what I think other people think of me. And so that's more the the social media side. But if I do have a listing, I, I will hire a professional videographer to go through the house or to do a, a 3D Matterport tour, absolutely, or drone footage is really big now. So there are local resources that I tap into for those reasons. Nice. And you're a, you're a member of Compass Agency. You know, why did you choose them? How long have you been with them? I've been with Compass for almost two years now, and I was brought on to Compass. I haven't been with another brokerage. And I chose Compass because Stephen Shane, back in the day, before he got into real estate, or maybe during the time, he had a snowboard shop called Polar Revolution. And as a kid, I was in there a lot. And so I knew Stephen, and of course, I know a lot of the other brokers as well, but I just, I researched Compass and I saw what they were doing in terms of being innovative and creative with their marketing. And I really liked that. I wanted, I didn't want to be at a big brokerage, if you will, in the Valley. And I spoke to Steven and we came up with a game plan to get me onboarded into Compass. And I actually helped assist another broker who was top producing. That was for a while until I got busy enough on my own to go separate ways. But he's still a mentor of mine. His name's Sam Augustine. And I work very closely with him. And he's Sam and Steven have been huge players in where I'm at today in my career. That's great. You know, the importance of a mentor is really important. It's something I've talked about a lot on the podcast with other guests and having that touchstone and having somebody like Steven or Sam guide you along the way and to shape your career is critical. So I applaud you for, you know, really working with some really strong people and finding those connections to lead you on your path. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was something that I, I wanted to do right. And I think getting into real estate if you talk to a lot of people, I think they'll all agree. A lot of brokers, there's no, there's no direct way to get into it. There's no, okay, you do a, and then B and then C, and then all of a sudden you're there. It, you, there's so many ways to skin the cat to get into real estate. And that was the way that I chose. And I'm, 
it worked out for me. And to be working under someone who was constantly doing transactions and deals, I learned a lot very, very quickly. And, um, you know, it's helped set me up for success as well. Shifting to your clients, you know, you talked a lot of your clients, you know, come through your sphere of influence. Uh, where are they predominantly from? We get, oh gosh, I've had clients from New York, Florida, Texas, big in Texas and California. Those, that would be my reach outside of Colorado right now. And actually also Boulder and Denver. There's a lot of people relocating from the front range and coming into our valley. That's interesting. And that would be their primary residence, I'm assuming. Correct. Yes. They would move and, uh, you know, I think that was really, we were seeing a lot of that in last summer and last spring when after May, when showings were allowed again, there was a big Boulder, Denver influx into the valley. Your clients from outside of Colorado, uh, I'm assuming they're buying a vacation home here in Aspen predominantly? Correct. A vacation, second home or investment property. Are there other communities, other mountain communities that they consider besides Aspen or are they dead set on Aspen? You know, for the most part, the, my clients that I've worked with, they've been coming to Aspen for, you know, some 20 years and some the last five years and they have their hearts set on Aspen and they just love it. And I think because you have the four mountains here, you also have Snowmass and the rest of the Roaring Fork Valley. And there's so much to that our valley offers. And a lot of people really like that. The trend you're talking about, you know, I, I have seen or heard about front range residents kind of making the move to the mountains. And I think this work from home trend, or maybe it's not even a trend, maybe it's here to stay with people, you know, businesses and employers being more flexible with people working remotely. That's only going to continue to fuel this move to the mountains and, and people choosing to reside here, maybe full time, where they might not have had that opportunity before. You think that's accurate? Yeah, I do. And I think if anything, this pandemic that we're all facing has shed light on the the importance of home and the importance of obviously family and friends and kind of your lifestyle and our valley lends to checks a lot of those boxes for a lot of people because you have easy access to the outdoors it's fairly low density smaller population and you can be outside year round exercising or you know partaking in your hobbies well said kind of my last section here you know kind of a few favorites so you mentioned we have four mountains what's your favorite my favorite is definitely aspen highlands i have to give a shout out i love the bowl it's uh it's one of a kind and uh, makes Aspen Highlands really special. Do you have a favorite activity once we get to the off season? Yeah, I love, oh gosh, I love to fly fish. If I could, I would do that year round, but in the winter it gets a little cold. Um, but fly fishing is a big part of my off seasons and summers and then split boarding as well, especially in the spring, getting up into the mountains when the snowpack is a little safer. Um, I love, love, love split boarding. Are you going to give up any fly fishing spots? Absolutely not. No, my under I'm not a fly fisherman myself, but I'm understanding that those spots are pretty precious. You don't want to give those up. Kind of like the good stash on the mountain, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
if, if you're bopping around town and maybe meeting a client, is there a spot you grab coffee? Yeah. My favorite place to grab coffee is the local coffee shop right downtown. It's a good, yeah, it's a good spot. New. One of the things I've noticed too, you, you know, when you have a closing, you do a donation to a local charitable cause. How did, how did you end up doing that? And tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah. So, you know, growing up in the Valley, I've realized that one, our community is incredible. And whether it's an Aspen community, a snowmass community, Basalt Carbondale, I mean, there are a lot of communities within the Valley, but what I've realized is that they're instrumental in, in our community are these nonprofits and charities and they do such wonderful work. And there's a huge spectrum of them, you know, from mountain rescue to pathfinders to the Roaring Fork Conservancy. There's so many wonderful charities and getting into real estate, I felt you know, you can take away a big paycheck. That's very apparent. And I felt for me, what would make me feel good is giving back to the nonprofits in our community that give so much and support so many people. And so that was a really big thing that I'm, you know, really committed to doing and to also bring awareness to all the different charities and nonprofits within our community. So it's a really fun initiative and I've gotten some really good feedback on it from clients. And, um, if I always tell them, if you can't pick one, pick two and I'll split the different, I'll just pay for each of them. And, um, yeah, I just do a flat fee depending on really the price point of the home that sold. But yeah, I, I give them a list of all the local nonprofits in the Valley and they get to choose and it's, it's a pretty, I think they feel good about it too. And it's all in their names. It's all in my clients' names. That's really cool. I, I applaud you for that. Final question. You know, if you, have, if we have listeners uh, that are new mountain brokers or thinking about getting into the business, do you have any advice for them? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Cause I went through this not too long ago, you know, do your due diligence, interview other in, interview brokerages. And that's the key word is that you are interviewing the brokerages. What can they provide you? What can, what support do they offer, etc. So it's really important to know what the other brokerages can offer you. And again, there are, there's a bunch of ways to skin the cap, but you could go the assistant route to independent broker route, could work for the actual brokerage. So it really depends on what your end goals are. But I would say once you're in real estate, I recommend sticking to a schedule, creating your systems, creating your processes and sticking to a schedule because as we all know, we live in a special place and the mountains right out your back door. You can get distracted and want to go for a ski break. But I think, um, you know, treat it, treat it like work, go into the office, work nine to five or, you know, the hours are a little bit odd, but really commit yourself to, to starting a business. You are, you are the CEO of your business and you have to put in the effort and the time and the energy to start a business. That's great advice. Jordi, if listeners want to get in, in touch with you, where do they learn more? Where should they follow you? You can follow me on Instagram at Jordi Karlinski. You can also visit my website, uh, jordicarlinski.com. 
Thank you so much for taking the time today, Jordi. I really, really appreciated this conversation. I, you have a lot to share to a new broker, just being relatively new yourself, and and really that transition from how you went from professional snowboarding into a career in real estate, how you found that success, how you've been focused on mindfulness, and I love the giving back, uh, and also you know what you talked about with content. You know, content any content's good content. And you certainly understand the importance of that. And I appreciate everything you've been doing. So thanks for taking the time. Thank you, Christian. It was great talking with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Selling the Mountains. You'll never miss an episode if you subscribe or follow the show. If you liked what you heard, please leave a short review and share it with a friend. For more information about Selling the Mountains, including feedback, suggestions, or sponsorship opportunities, please visit sellingthemountains.com and sign up for our newsletter. You can follow the show on Instagram or Facebook at Selling the Mountains. You can follow the host on Twitter at Christian Knapp or on Instagram at Napstagram. This show was produced in collaboration with Dustin H. James at Podboarder. Selling the Mountains is a production of Moment of Truth, LLC. All rights reserved.